Oh my god. What? Can it really be Christmas again? Around here it almost always is. Is this thing on? This is Big Green. This is Big Green for December 2019. This is a very special December for us. My goodness. It's the 20th anniversary of the release of our first album, 2,000 Years to Christmas. Wow. Unbelievable. 20 years. We'll be playing excerpts from that first album of ours. Also, an encore presentation of the Nimrod 7. An episode of Netrek from a couple of years ago with eight big green songs on it. Another musical. Stay tuned. splinters already hello there it's me joe of big green and welcome to this is big green for december of 2019 so glad to be with you it's just me today yes once again my illustrious brother is busy with things called birds he's taking care of the boys again with the boys He's a very busy man, much more busy than me. Anyway, this is a uh, special episode of This is Big Green. You've heard this from me before, no doubt. Yes, indeed. We're, uh, we're running a skeleton crew here today. But we wanted to greet you um, properly for the holiday season, as the holiday season is something that's extra special for us, as you know. Why is it extra special for Big Green? Well, let me tell you. Because our first album was called 2,000 Years to Christmas. It's a million seller. We've got a million in our cellar. <laughs> That's a joke, son. Can't you tell a joke when you hear one, son? Anyway, 2,000 Years to Christmas, our first album released in 1999, which is, as it happens, 20 years ago. It was 20 years ago today. Yeah, we didn't actually learn to play 20 years ago today, but we did release um, the 2000 Years to Christmas album 20 years ago, this season. It's an exciting anniversary, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. I wanted to just intro this before we go into the Ned Trek episode. This is a retread Ned Trek. We have a new one in process, just like the last time I was uh, flying solo here, we had a... Um, new episode that was being worked on. 
Uh, we have another new episode in in progress. Um, it's been recorded. It's been partially edited. It needs to be finished. There are a number of songs involved. Um, I think we've got eight songs coming this time, so it'll it will be released sometime early in the new year. So uh, in the meantime, we're going to play this encore presentation of an episode of Big Green. It's called. The Nimrod 7, and it was originally podcast in September of 2017, and it features, I believe, seven Big Green songs. Actually, eight Big Green songs, and some that I'm uh, I'm very fond of, actually. Uh, This is one of my favorite musical episodes, and I wanted to share it with you once again. So we're going to go right into that, and I wanted to uh, just intro that for you briefly. I posted an encore episode of Ned Trek on the Ned Trek site, which is at nedtrek.com, N-E-D-T-R-E-K.com. Um, it's called It's a Profitable Life, and it's a ridiculous parody of It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, that we did a couple of years ago. I think we did. We released it in, um, I think, late 2016, early 2017. <laughs> I think we might have missed the holiday, which is ridiculous. Uh, but that's what we did. Um, it's based on, of course, It's a Wonderful Life with some sarcasm. And you can listen to that at nedtrek.com. That, too, is a rebroadcast from a few years ago. That includes a number of songs as well. So we're going to go right into Nedrek 33, the Nimrod 7, including eight big green songs, um, originally podcast in September of 2017. And I'll come back after this is done. And we'll talk about Christmas. We'll have a nice little Christmas together. Talk to you soon. This is Lee Majors. Last week on NetTrack, seems like it was way more than a week ago. It was more like three months ago. The show must have been canceled again. Either that or the cast just thought it was and didn't show up for work. The last few scripts have been pretty bad, and a few of the actors had to be written out of the show for eating Snickers bars on the set. That's unprofessional. We ate Mars bars on the set of the Six Million Dollar Man, or maybe we were eating Million Dollar Bars at a bar scene on the Mars set. I can't remember on account of advanced old age. The point being, I don't know how much longer I can be doing these introductory voiceovers. I gotta break this contract, or get written out. Hey kid, give me one of those snicker bars. Stay tuned. It's wild, Steve. It's wild. Space. The ultimate marketplace. These are the voyages of the Starship Free Enterprise. Its mission of undetermined length, um, until we're canceled, I guess, to seek out strange new commodities, exploitable alien workforces, to brazenly amass the largest profits that any corporation has before.
<laughs> Why, Commissioner Sanders, you appear to be still on board since the last episode. Or the one before that. Who knows? They never have these in the same order they shoot them. <laughs> Just keep shooting, men. That's right. I'm here taking a little on uh, a space cruise, if you will. As a Starfleet Commodore, I have the right to take a party cruise on any galaxy-classless ship, compliments of the Confederation. And, naturally, I pick the worst ship in the fleet and the very worst crew. No, of course, all that was my little joke here. <laughs> in reality, I am on a mission to deliver space food and medical supplies to the planet too tough to feed you to. The two tough to feed yous there are suffering from acute exploitation of the planet's atmosphere for the gas for Boxian. It is a rare but essential component of the atmosphere. Without it, there is nothing inhibiting the overinflation of the two toughiest pulmonary organs and they will all explode. <laughs> yeah, that would be a shame. Still, we do need that elemental gas for the manufacture of the packing materials for our Starfleet flag lapel pins. In other words, essential stuff. Especially in election years. <laughs> hey, does anyone have the contract yet for cleaning up the mega hives on Too Tough to Feed Jess? Um, no. All I ask is that you make course for Too Tough to Feed You 2 as soon as possible. <laughs> sure. Mr. Helmsman, point the ship at that whatchamacallit planet and press the go button. No, relay that order, mister. We went to whatchamacallit a few weeks ago. There must be a ghost image of it lingering in the script. That's what happens when our writers use ballpoint pens. Willard, you idiot. Before the show started taping, we launched a shuttlecraft full of regular cast members into the Maraschino Nebula. We can't leave at least until they get back. That is unless you're content to have the set carpenter and the wardrobe guy Villain is the bridge crew for the balance of the season. Probably wouldn't make the show any worse, now that I think about it. That would be grand. <laughs> you know how I always like to look my best. And what about a little carpenter song while we warp out? <laughs> feelies. Nothing more than feelies. <laughs> Sing us out, Mr. Carpenter. Um, yep. He doesn't know how to work the freaking controls, Willard. All he did was jettison the luggage compartment. I hope you weren't planning on sleeping in your own jammies tonight, Commodore. Captain, we can't leave yet. There are standing orders from the Confederation that starships are to explore all Class Four quasi-space phenomenon, even though this is obviously just some kind of pipe tobacco smoke that we're looking at on the screen. If it had been real, we'd all be dead now. Dead from being compressed into something no bigger than a grain of purple sand. Aye, that's what it'd do to you. Yeah, I got the feeling the Confederation's standing orders are just in place to get rid of us. But we keep screwing it up and surviving. Killing me softly with black holes, making me tiny as my big toe, killing me softly. <laughs> you know, music works great for improving my memory. Mr. Welts, you're right. I can remember my conversation with Starfleet's command now. The Confederation is pretty sure that there must be space leprechaun gold up there. 
Either that or they want us to build a bridge between the two Maraschino nebulas. I can't remember which, and that's why I sent those men out there. You mean to say that you've sent them out into space to do something impossible or to find something that obviously does not exist? That's about the size of it. You just summed up the plot of this show and of that guy's pointless life. But you must realize that there is not enough matter in the nebula that would allow an edifice to be erected onto it. And a bridge would need to be as big as a billion billion suns. That would be far too massive for any known civilization to handle, particularly without a cooperative infrastructure workforce. That's why we'd be doing it the old-fashioned way, with private industry and public capital. <laughs> Lots of public capital. I think I'm starting to get a whiff of that leprechaun gold right now. Hey, I think it might be a euphemism. You mean a boondoggle? Sanders, if this mission snuffs out Pearl, then it's worth it in my books. What about the other crew members of the Nimrod? Are they as expendable? Yeah, the way I figure it, they'd make pretty good ballast for Pearl's useless ass. That is, except for Sulu, but I expect he won't mind being finally put out of his misery. Captain, I've got Mr. Pearl on the intercom. Sir, can you talk? <laughs> of course I can talk. I'm a space captain man. I can say lots of things. I can also write and doodle. Did you want to see me draw something? How about a pirate? Or a colorful, jolly hen. Just talk to the idiot, fool. Mr. Pearl, how are you and how's the mission coming? Have you found any space leprechauns to shake down yet? Captain, there seems to be some mistake. I thought my orders were just to check and see if this shuttlecraft's life jackets and emergency phaser communicator kits had been pilfered. And it turns out they had been. The good news is that a three-legged Cleantown freighter commander gave me 150 credits for them. He was going to take the fire extinguishers too. But then before I could put some space postage stamps on them, the shuttlecraft cast off, and with me on board. You know, many a great captain got their starts that way. Captain Pluto Christie, for instance. Captain Beardsicle. Captain Blowbeard. Yes, some of them were pirates I've doodled in the past. Mr. Pearl, you're in command of the Nimrod 7 now. I can't tell you how proud that makes me, and I literally can't. The truth is that showing pride in the accomplishments of others would only serve to take something away from me. <laughs> I can't bear to have anything taken away. No, not ever. But I was never briefed by anyone for this mission. I was in my quarters making up perky talking points for an administration spokesperson to say on TV. I specialize in justifying atrocities, but I'm pretty good with minimizing collateral damage, too. See, I did it right there. I, too, was busy with a green kind of collateral. <laughs> a lot of it. It all belonged to other men, but via some marketplace magic, I made it work for me. Now I keep it in my briefcase, along with a few extra pairs of briefs. Pearl, just drive the frickin' shuttle around the interstellar gas cloud for about 40 minutes until the show is over. You can manage that, can't you? I suppose so. At least I have a crew that can carry out my orders, no matter how trivial or inconsequential. They've all been sworn to uphold whatever I tell them to hold up, and the only thing they can rightfully ask of me is, How high? Mr. Nixon? You heard our orders. Set a course that will take us about 40 minutes to complete. But hey, I wonder if Ned took commercial breaks into account. Nixon, best make that 35 minutes. Oh yeah, 
What if in syndication we run on one of those New York City channels that pack the show with three times the amount of commercials? Better make that a 15-minute tour of the nebulous Nixon, and don't find a black hole, whatever you do. I say most certainly not, sir. If you are going to find a hole, make sure it is of a hue that God would recognize as unsullied by the mark of Cain. A cockazoid hole would be preferable. Or a cock hole. Aye, sir. I think I've computed the navigational controls of the spaceship. I think I can drive it. It's very similar to the Volkswagen buses that were driven by some of my enemies. Abby Hoffman used to drive one around the country, pick up all of his filthy Jew cohorts. And after all I did for them, I tried to help those kids out by extending the war. After all, without the war, they'd be out of business. They'd have had to try to make a living from their third-rate pornographic literature. I could have turned them on to the better stuff. That is, if they'd played ball. I know, I know. You were such an inspiration to us, sir. You even threw a monkey wrench into the Paris peace talks so you could get elected and thereby help them. Ungrateful and dirty scum, that's what they are. I'd never let Trisha marry one of them. She deserves a cox. I mean the good one, not the Archibald one. Oh, God, Nixon, just push the lever thing on the dashboard and get this thing moving. I don't know how Dr. Kissinger put up with you for so long. I mean, really, you're like the vinegar that curdles the sweet milk of war. Pearl, you know, I could probably drive this thing. That's probably why I'm on board, right? No, this is my first command, and I'd feel much more at home having a president drive. One that I can express myself through. <laughs> but Nixon is so yesterday. During his entire career, he never once uttered the words radical Islamic jihadism. And by not saying it, he was as good as conceding to their claim of an all-encompassing galaxy-wide caliphate. No, I'd take a rotund jack-o'-lantern-faced narcissist any day over Nixon. That's right, Sab. But in his day, nobody saw the cash potential in that war model. Remember, they still had a delightful Cold War to warm their hands by. Sab, indeed. The name is Sebastian Bartholomew Vitzgorka Esquire. You may refer to me as your honor or your glory. Uh, so what's this guy doing on board anyway? Did the casting director think that we were somehow running low on clueless, arrogant fuckheads? I'm on board too. Please don't forget me, Mr. Faru. Everyone's always forgetting me as if I were dead. And we also have a few red-shirted Mr. Stephanies in the back of the ship. They're all practicing getting killed off in different ways. <laughs> I like them a lot. I'm putting the ship into gear now. Here we go. Oh no, I think we just lost all the luggage on the roof. No, 
you fail to realize the gravity of the situation. I will have lost my luggage, my golden Hungarian Nazi robe with the White House Special Assistant seal is in there. Quick, turn back. Hey, I never got one of those. I want one of those. I think we must have lost a wheel, maybe two wheels. I have always heard that this was possible during a campaign, but back in 68, we were blessed. That's what comes from having the muscle of the evangelicals behind me. Stupid as stone, a lot of them, but they were always eager and willing to get out and push. Looks like the Maraschino Nebula is sucking us into its center. You all may want to kiss my ass goodbye. Hold on and pucker up. Are you sure you guys don't want me to drive? Oh no! And I am so young and, and so filled with idealism, especially when it comes to contemplating my own position. What are you talking about? I was just beginning my improbable career of turning hate speech into policy. I've barely put my greasy blot on the cosmopolitical landscape. I say, these men are hurling into the vastness that is the Lord, and in thy name they will be spared, if not the corrupt bodies and their sparsity of hair, then certainly their immortal souls. Why don't we just call the ship and see if we can be transported out of here? Oh my god, that is a fantastic idea. I know. I thought it up myself. It was even in my theses that I wrote in 15 minutes. I tell you, I'm that good. Top of my class at the Online Space Academy. I notice you pronounce theses like feces. Nixon, open up a channel to the Free Enterprise, quick! Well, subspace radio has been destroyed by the impact. I'm afraid we'll be talking to no one but ourselves. I'm used to that. Luckily, I've developed a bit of rapport with myself. I can even tell myself a joke. <clears throat> knock, knock. Who's there? Nixon. Nixon who? Nixon's the one. <laughs> Nixon's the one who. <laughs> I love this one. Nixon's the who's on first. It's not funny yet. I know. I need to work on it for another four more years. Uh, we haven't crashed yet. The radio should be fine. Oh, yes, you're right. You're Asian, aren't you? Did you know that I made Charlie Chan our UN ambassador? No, you didn't. Oh, my God, again, we're crashing into that planetoid. Captain Romney, I've lost contact with the Nimrod 7. <laughs> well, as I figure it, you've got at least six others to try while I sit here and enjoy some green pastry cubes. Hey, costume designer guy, Mr. Marmarco, <laughs> is it true your people came to America because of a pasta famine? I'd have to say no to that, Captain. However, a positively gorgeous purple light just emanated from the center of the Maraschino Nebula. It enveloped the Nimrod and sucked it into the heart of the phenomenon. Oh, shit. We probably just can't let that go, can we? I smell a plot rife with cavemen. 
<laughs> All those men gone? Not to mention the $12 worth of good plastic that went into that mock-up of a shuttlecraft? <laughs> we need to institute a Phase 47 search. Mr. Ned, begin by scanning the planets in the Maraschino effect. Set your scanners for space plastic. What? Oh, Jesus. Aye, aye. Mr. Feelies, start driving the boulevards in this phenomenon and drive slowly. <laughs> Let's show us off a bit while we're searching. I take it from this action that our arrival on Too Tough to Feed You Too, along with the perishable humanitarian supplies, is going to be delayed. <laughs> Don't worry, Commissioner. We can eat some of that food before it goes bad. <laughs> and I'll take a couple of those calendars. <laughs> Humanitarian is an insurance company run by reformed Unitarians, right? About time they got reformed and took some big god on board. Archangel Winkleham's booties! We're all on the floor! Doc's right. I'm on the floor too, and I hurt my elbow. I think I may be damaged as well. The great weight of my titanium frame forced me to come down hard on the subspace radio controls. There's a Nixon-shaped indentation in the console now. You could fill it with dough and make Nixon bread. Anyhow, you may want to save that. It could be valuable sometime in the future after I become deified. They couldn't have done it while I was alive, though, could they? I blame the dishonest media. Ugh. Oh, yes. I also fell backwards onto one of the Stephanies. I think he's dead, but he gave his life for the best of causes. You don't understand the gravity of the situation. None of you do. I hit my head. You can't possibly know the treasures I keep up there. During the missing scene, we would seem to have made an impossibly fortunate landing between two styrofoam boulders on the usual alien planet set. But what planet are we pretending this is? Hey, can we say it's Edelson's Desert Casino Planet? I'd like some dessert right now and a side order of casino chips. I wish Ned were here to respond to that one. Oh, that's right. In the event that he ever died or went missing, or just wasn't in the room, Ned made me carry a tricorder tape that contains his last advice to Pearl. It's to be played if Pearl is ever in command, and or just says something stupid. Here it goes. Is this thing on? Oh, okay. Wish I had hands or even a stylus that fits properly in a horse's mouth. I always forget and think it's a toothpick. Anyhow, if you guys are playing this tape, that would mean that I'm dead, that the tactical situation is ridiculous, and by some catastrophic freak accident, Pearl has been left in command. It all sounds hopeless to me. Best start kissing your asses goodbye. And Pearl, you heard what I just told the crew. You're a freaking imbecilic ass clown. Good luck with your horrible deaths, and try not to catch your fake blood on the shuttlecraft set. We may be forced to use it again, and those kinds of things never get cleaned. You should take a look at the plastic metal outhouse obelisk thing. I don't think it's ever been cleaned since Romney last used it. Or misused it, I should say. Hey! So when did he record that? It looked like he was on the same planet set that we're on now. 
I could even see the corner of the Nimrod 7 prop in the background. Oh, wait. There's one more part. Shut up, Pearl! Uh, looks like Captain Romney has what he wanted us to play as well. Here goes that one. If you're listening to this, we'll assume I'm dead that the situation's set and conditions they are red and you was a hero in every sense of the word. And I'm including hero sandwich in that. Gosh, I wish I had one now. Which reminds me, Nixon, where are we really? This planet is located directly in the center of the Maraschino Quasi-Nebula. The gravity well created by the mass of the phenomenon has interfered with the ship's warp propulsion field that caused the Quasi-Manitou that inhabits our onboard navigational computer to overwhelm its dampers and we were shot like a bullet into the center of the effect which is where this planetoid is. Now can I talk about how lonely I am? 
Um, no. Well, let's open the door. Let's get with it. We just can't sit in this idling bus for the next 30 minutes. I have to breathe. I need fresh air to get my alpha thoughts rolling like a fluid river of superficial, intelligent condescension. Wait a minute. We have to test the air on this planet first. What if the air is poisonous? Poison! You're kidding, right? When's the last time that happened? I know. Let's send a red shirt out there and test the air. Sulu, which one is on the top of the death duty roster? Looks like Stephanie P is the sacrificial drone for the day. Wow, I may be sending a man to his death. The power I feel is intoxicating. I say, he can drink those toxins for you too, since you would be his lord and master, as well as his commander. Okay, Stephanie P., get out there and tell us if the air is toxic to humans. Um, you could call us on your communicator and let us know if you're dying. But don't try to come back in. We wouldn't want you dying on the floor in here. I have too much respect for our men to allow them to see something like that. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Quick, close the doors again before the alien air gets in. You know, we should have a double door on this thing. You know, something like an airlock. That would mean a complete refit of the plastic shuttle prop. It would cost a couple hundred bucks or about the equivalent of 12 Mr. Stephanie's. Also, we'd be without the prop for the rest of the season. We might be forced to use that refrigerator box again. No, 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 we don't need the airlock. We just glue a line of Christmas lights along the inside edge of the door and, and call it a containment field. Ah, say, that would be subverting the very nature of Christmas! Lawgivers! Lawgivers! Um, yes. Mr. Nixon, please let Mr. Stephanie P. back into the ship. Sure, sure. Mr. Stephanie is dead, sir. Commander, I'm gone, sir. But you weren't involved. No, you were not wrong. You were not wrong, sir. About the frontal assault. So clumsy. I put my head in the way. I asked for the arrows and the grenades. Commander, I'm dead, sir. I've been called from the line. With that, I'm fine, sir. Oh, it was my time. Shouldn't regret it. I trust that you won't. I trust that you won't. You'll never fret, sir. No, you're not just a gloat. Oh, 
motives are fine. All your motives are fine. What's good for the syndicate? It's all good for the hood. Through the chest, sir. But I can still be of use. I can still be of yours. Nothing left of my legs, sir. But I can still take abuse. I can still take abuse. Drop me into a car, sir. And push me down a hill. Push me right down a hill. I can still sell you more, sir. I still have something to spill. He's dead? Dead? That means that the air on this planet is is poisonous. Poison! No, it's fine. It's got to be better than the air in here. I am sitting next to Doc. Anyhow, Stephanie P is dead because you sent him out there alone. What else is he going to do? He's not an actor. You can't expect him to launch into some Shakespearean soliloquy. All he could do is die. Ah, say, but for that he has a rare talent, just like some of our best overworked slaves. The trick was to try and sell them fast before they stopped moving and had to go into the ground. I guess it's all okay, then. Sounds like it's just the usual planet set, after all, with the usual atmosphere and gravity and everything. That's convenient. The way I see it, I've lost a man, but we can afford to lose quite a few more before we start cutting into recurring cast members. Come on, everybody, pile out! You don't have any idea what killed that man, do you, Commander? That's because you're a beta, Commander, and you'll never be anything more than a, a beta leader. How can you properly react to a threat if you're incapable of seeing it in the first place? It's the fundamentalist Icelandian terrorists they did. They killed him. You need to say it, Commander. I do? Uh, okay. The fundamentalist Icelandian terrorist did it. How is that? Do I get something now? I love rewards. What? Are you intimating that just the thought of the terrorists killed him? There's not a mark on him. I'd say insufficient schooling is responsible. Or even having rice without a roti. Beta, beta. Beta. Father was a Hungarian Nazi, a real bad boy and a Nazi Tutsi. He would be so proud of me, 
place this is and the pleasing scent of it rolls out on a red carpet and greets my nose organ it's russia and not the evil red one that used to thwart us and provide sustenance to our most holy military industrial complex no it's the godly plutocratic and thoroughly corrupt red one the one that's on our side and helps us launder money and win elections and that music I'm hearing, it's the Palavetsian dance number one by Borodin. I can see the gliding dance of the maidens. It takes me back to the drawing room in my own plantation house back home. The slaves used to hum that piece while they were picking Becky. Oh, they had it fine and easy. Well, he's freaking nuts. I'm pretty sure his slaves were humming a different song. I thought it might be too early in the episode for somebody to lose it, but looks like our producers have put us on Twilight Zone standards. That was only a half an hour show, so the characters went batshit crazy a lot earlier. Now let's get something straight right now. Who's in command here? I think it should be me. I do, after all, wear my father's honorary lapel pin from the Hungarian Hitler Hunta. That's the fabled HHJ for all of you ill-informed immigrant-loving freedom haters. Well, that outranks me. I only rose to be a lieutenant in the Navy. 
serving aboard the U.S. Starchy. It was a laundry ship. Oh, yes, I was also the nation's commander-in-chief for six years. It should have been eight, or an even twenty, or, dare I say it, a one-thousand-year reign. Yes, a thousand years. I could have gotten that. I say, Mr. Pearl, this is your big chance to take command. I know you weren't born to it like me and mine. We were ordering our field slaves around back when we were babes in arms. You, on the other hand, bought your commission with bits of silver tain. Come hither and pony up, my good sir. I bet you come out swinging. I bet you're coming out style. You'll be a blast on your shoulders when you send your footmen out to die. Although you hit the ground running. Yeah.
That's right. I'm in command, and I've already consummated my position by sending a man to his death. It feels good. You know, I could get used to this. You say that I'm a coward, and I hear I'm a hero. We could have made a fortune down here selling spears. You see my lips moving, you don't know what I'm saying. I hear we're here for hours, but you say seven years. Nimrod, you threw an arrow, now everything has come unravel. There goes my first command, now it all comes tumbling down. You say you found. station is if you objective is to get back in touch with the free enterprise. She must be out looking for us. She must be. I need to get back on board by 0800 hours in case someone wants to ask me something on TV. Nonetheless, we're all going to fan out on this planet set. Your orders are to look for any old radio sets or weapon props that may have been left behind by cast members in other episodes. Finding a lack of killer cavemen would also be appreciated. I'll stay here and stand guard over our food supply that, I must admit, looks especially delicious right now. Command really piques the appetite. 
Mr. Nixon will remain here with me, so instead of talking to myself, I can get in some practice advising a president on more colorful ways to wage an asymmetrical war. My favorite kind. While I'm listening to your ideas, I can fix this thing's transmission. Mark my words, we'll be up in space again in no time. And back to that loneliness that tugs at me. In space, no one can hear your scheme. We're supposed to spread out then. Okay, I'll go this way. It looks very dark and foreboding. There might be some space ghouls waiting in the shadows. I've got to talk to them. Maybe share some recipes. Uh, sure. Don't hurry back, Goldstein. Hey, Pearl, we don't have any phasers or communicators. What are we supposed to do if we find a caveman? How do we let everyone know? Just yell across the soundstage? You can do that or you can shake the set's backdrop. We should all be able to see that no matter where we are in the studio. And if you find cavemen, just throw rocks at them. Uh, yeah, okay. That's what you haven't done here to provoke this treason. Order so obtuse, we could just pick a reason. I'm channeling Fletcher Christian. To think I was so glad to be included this week. Script was bad, but I still had some lines I could speak.
Stephanie R. and Stephanie S. You two go up behind those fake plastic cliffs and then circle back before you hit the backdrop. Doc and Gorka, go that way and just keep going. I think the bunker set is in that direction somewhere. I say, what about burying our Mr. Stephanie Q? We can't do anything without first dealing with that most solemn duty. Doc, you can't bury anything on a soundstage. As soon as you go through an inch of sand, you're hitting particle board. If you breach the floor, Stephanie Q is going to be making a special guest appearance on Mission Impossible. Besides, the guy's not dead, just inept. That's enough. Now I'm taking over command of this reconnaissance detail. Yes, the alpha male is in the house. Be my guest. You can be in command of Doc. I'm going that way. I'm going to have a cigarette and a cup of coffee with the maintenance crew. Wait a minute. What's that sound? It's coming from beyond the backdrop. It sounds like a Koran being rubbed up against some kind of Arabian goat leather. It's probably just the set men from the wild, wild west starting to move their own plastic props onto the soundstage. They're jumping the gun a bit. Um, Captain? Um, I mean, Commander, I, um, I see something and... Ah! I say Mr. Stephanie R is dead, or at least he's not well. I'm analyzing him now with my whiskey bottle since I left my medical tricorder in my other pants. I only have these useless pants. Pants with no whiskey in them. I must admit it, he does look pretty dead with that spear through the body. You don't suppose they were aiming to pin him to a gigantic butterfly collection or a butterman collection in this case? <laughs> Regardless, I've lost another man. Although he's kind of like the same man as the last one, so maybe he should only count as a half man. Oh my God, I've lost a man and a half. Hey, I must be doing something right. <laughs> half man and half what? Hopefully half ghoul. Now can we all go to the graveyard? That will have to wait, Goldstein. For now, hand me Stephanie's plastic stick. Give me his belt, too. Also, does he have any other valuables on his person? Any gold rings or silver talisman? Or by chance, a great diamond bowling ball? What do you think, he's a pirate or something, Pearl? He was an anemic red-shirted security clone. He didn't even have a personality. I say, but he was also called Stephanie R, which sounds like the name of a pirate. There have been a few around just lately, together with the thieving scurvy crews. They've been sailing some of these God-fearing channels. You just can't recognize the truth, even when it's right in front of your faces. The man was a spy for the extremist, terroristic, Icelandic, fundamentalist extremist. Just look at his beard. See how he's tried to hide it. You won't admit it because you're all beta cucks. Well, the alpha male is back and he has this in his hand. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what the hell is that thing? A walking stick that your dog chewed on for about five years? You know, good foreign cock, 
This is the traditional wooden sword carried by the Hungarian Nationalist Skinhead Brigade. If you insult that, you insult Hungarian freedom. Please stop talking about it. You're making me hungry. And I've already eaten all of our supplies. Ah, see, it's just like I thought. It's a freedom shillelagh. You can use it to better about the pagan monkeys that inhabit these plastic hills. Pearl, don't you think we should go back to the shuttle prop and see how Nixon's getting on with the repairs? Yes, I need to get back to the free enterprises as fast as possible. I'm afraid that if I'm away too long, then they might replace me with an amazingly complex war-starting computer. The Neocon 5, it might be called. Versions 1 through 4 wouldn't have had my innate aversion to nuclear arms control treaties quite right. Okay, we can go back, but somebody must carry Mr. Stephanie R. back with us. We don't have time. We just have to get back now. Let the studio janitor deal with him. That's the kind of beta cock ignorance I come to expect from you old guard Ivy League conservatives. Innovation is a foreign concept to you. You said we have no food. Well, I'm going to show you how an alpha male that's entirely unpolluted by political correctness and conventional social norms fixes two problems simultaneously. First, we're going to take Mr. Stephanie back with us, and then I'm going to put on an apron. We're going to get the space stove going, and I'm going to make some delicious Hungarian goulash from Stephanie using my father's own recipe and his special Nazi baking dish. Ah, say, now I want one of those Hitler bacon dishes. And I know when the feast is done, you could feed some to those cavemen that are so vexing us. They might just leave us alone after they get served up right from the vessel of the Fuhrer. That way we can solve three problems at the same time. Okay, okay, I'm on board with the Nazi goulash. <sighs> Let's just get going before the cavemen come back. Cavemen make me nauseous. I think it's the glue that keeps their frontal brow pieces on. Captain Willard, the shuttlecraft Scalia's ass just returned from surveying the planet we were talking about. You know, the one that's in the middle of the Maraschino Nebula. Anyway, it's the only planet prop that has a light bulb in it. So I'm thinking it's where those losers on the Nimrod ended up. Oh boy, I can hardly wait to hear what they say. <laughs> I thought about looking a few pages ahead in the script, but that would be impious. And I don't want to be referred to as Captain Imp for the rest of the show. <laughs> Although it's kind of like Captain Chimp, and I wouldn't mind that so much. Now that your rescue party is returning, can we please get underway to two top to feed you two? I think you've expended enough time on this enterprise, and please don't forget how perishable the supplies we are carrying are. Hey, so which one of the red-shirted idiots stowed your perishable supplies anyway, Commissioner? None of those smoking geniuses know the difference between the cargo bay and the garbage bay. Your precious stuff has probably been jettisoned already. Let's hope not for all of your sakes. 
Captain, I've got the leader of the search party on the intercom. Do you want his report? <laughs> sure. Nobody else is saying anything right now anyway. <laughs> Here it is then. It's Chief Washburn. Greetings, Chief. <laughs> you know, I understand your people use a variety of medicinal herbs to wash off your burns with. <laughs> Very wise. My advanced cloud people approve. Like you, we don't believe in more expensive treatments for deadbeats, layabouts, and gay degenerates. <laughs> then you'd be bankrupt. You might talk to your medical financial advisors to see if incorporation is right for you. Um, yes, thank you, Captain. We, we didn't find the Nimrod or its crew on the planet. We, we did find some other plastic stuff, though. Oh, yeah, and a tribe of two ludicrous cavemen. You know, they're, they're kind of like the type discovered on Cheapo's planet, but much more rudimentary than that. In fact, Lieutenant Funlucky got 12 spears through the body before we even knew they were around. We think he'll pull through, though. Ah, yes, and Anson Grimble had his head turned off and his liver nailed to a tree, but, but we think he'll be okay, too, as long as no one ever talks to him or watches him when he drinks something. Anyhow, Captain, we managed to search about 400 square feet of the planet. Did you want us to go back and do the rest, sir? <laughs> no, I'm sure that's not necessary. We'll take over from here, Mr. Carpenter. Take us to Too Tough to Feed You Too! What? So you're abandoning the search, even though the Nimrod is our only freaking near to life size shuttle prop? If we lose that, we'll have to go back to using that old refrigerator box with a couple of window holes sawed out and the word space shuttle written on it in crayon. And all of our friends, all gone. <laughs> Looks like I'll be wearing my posthumous burying underpants for a few days at least. I must have my man get the blueberry stains off of them. I last used them to perform the ceremony for a fat domino. I found my thrill <laughs> on the blueberry hill. Delay that order set, carpenter guy. Um, yep. Willard, the episode won't make any sense unless we go back for those doofuses. <laughs> and the last thing we want to do is not make sense. I agree. Mr. Carpenter, set course for the planet in the center of the Maraschino effect. It's the one with the light bulb in it. Ahead, warp vector 47. Warp vector 7, Willard, fool. Make it so, mister. <laughs> I so have this job down now. I take it from this last confusing page of dialogue that you will not be calling off the search and that our rendezvous with the U.S. contempt bin at Too Tough to Feed You 2 is going to be delayed. You take it right, mofo. Why don't you spend some time rescuing the endangered Antillian toilet seat bugs from Pearl's quarters? Looks like I'll be coming back after all. Commander, your name will factor prominently in my report to Starfleet. I should hope so. My frickin' name is stamped on all the stationery that's associated with this ulcerated pot-up of a show. I don't understand it. So far I've acted in my own interest, and in the interest of those armament corporations that are representing, yet only five men have died. This commanding job is more difficult than I thought. Mercifully, we did lose another three Mr. Stephanies during the commercial break. That means we don't have to act out the painfully redundant scenarios that lead to their deaths by 
cheap cavemen. I think they would have enjoyed the 1960s era commercial for Noxzema medicated shaven lotion. Oh yeah, Pearl, I've got another recording over here. I guess Mr. Welsh was supposed to be on the shuttle with us, but he forgot, or the director forgot, or something. Anyhow, it appears to be another celebration of your incompetence. Here goes. Oh ho, yo ho, you brought us down. Our great furry friends, they've run us aground. Oh ho, it's you with your ball bearings tapping. You'll know nothing, Captain. Our bones will never be found. Oh, no, they do. I don't mind pretending, but you've got me flummoxed. You've no freaking clue, and our lives, they are ended. No two ways about it. We'll be dead by the morn. With my way of reckoning, our graves are a beckoning now. of us dead, three more with the black axe etched into their heads. I fear what's to happen, fear which man is next. God willing, not Sebastian, not Doc and not Dick and not right. Yo ho, to ho, yo ho, to ho. I do what I can with what I've been given. But you, sir, have no wit, no brain works a ticking. I'm a talking cliche, but at least I am living. The commands you've been given will usher me right to my doom. Yo ho, to ho, yo ho, to ho, yo ho, to ho. A crumpled wreck, not a neocon landing, and an end to our trek. Oh, curse this speck, and everything in it, we're breathing our last. We've lit it, and lit it, our last. Yo ho, to ho, yo ho, to ho. The day space gives up her own, nor stars do their talent, only echoes a yelling. We'll rule the day of inept and cruel rulers, ridiculous cruders, marooned us meet trust on this world. Yo ho to ho. Our great furry friends, they've run us aground. Oh ho, it's you, their ball barons tapping. You know nothing, Captain. Our bones will never be found. You hold they won't. Hold to hold. 
Your thinking is so beta. We need an alpha male on this. Oh yes, we've got one. Me! Listen, years ago on Earth, cavemen used to wipe out whole villages until we went out and hunted them. Cavemen learned. We can't go risking my life trying to give cavemen Stephanie-flavored Hungarian goulash in a commemorative Hitler baking dish. We'll just stay here. Here we're safe. Safe? We're prisoners. We're going to go out there and find those jihadist cavemen now. Gorka, you remind me of young Henry Kissinger, except minus about nine-tenths of the intellect and one-thirty-fifth of the academic achievements. You're so keen and eager to do whatever it takes to advance your career, but you need to learn to suck up to your commander-in-chief. Well, I'm sick and tired of this neocon car. That's enough. We have a more pressing problem, and one that can be resolved by poisoning some Stone Age pagans, although that kind of enterprise sails near to my heart. Well, this would be an unusual problem, then. I can't think of what they could possibly be. First, I want you all to know I did what I could to pound the ship back into shape, although I think I went a bit overboard on the starboard side. I say you're right. The ship looks like it's in the family way. Good thing I'm a trained veterinarian reverend doctor at law. If there's a sick Baptist pig around here with a pending lawsuit, then I'm the man. Uh, yes. Uh, hey, Nixon, you don't think she can fly like that? Granted, it may look a little awkward when they're hanging it up in front of the green screen and when the fake stars whiz by, but we've trained our audience to accept about anything. True enough. Trained special effects wizards can make a ham sandwich fly through space, but our show can't afford them or even any ham. Regardless, our radioactive fuel is gone. It all leaked out. Whoever pilfered our life jackets and our phaser kits cut the fuel lines when they were prying them out of their little cupboard space. Well, I didn't have the key. I mean, they didn't have the key. I don't think they could possibly know they were sentencing us to death. Well, then, if we're stranded down here, then it's even more crucial that we exercise our dominance over these radical Kevlamist terrorists. We give them a bloody nose and a bloody chin and a bunch of their relatives' bloody body parts in a bag. Then they'll think twice before coming to this part of their territory again. Don't be such a cock, Pearl. Send out the remaining Stephanies and have them do security roundups. Set up a perimeter. I've got a pop-up book over here which clearly diagrams the whole thing. I thought you needed those Stephanie remains for the goulash. I say we're running low. Oh, very well. Mr. Sulu, tell the Stephanies, and I mean the ones that are still alive, to go out there and set up a perimeter. Maybe they can set up some outdoor sporting equipment, too, in a barbecue pit. Pearl, I'm not going to do that. If you mean to send more sub-actors to their on-screen deaths, you'll have to do it yourself. By the look of the shuttle prop, we're not getting out of here anytime soon, and listening to you would be setting up a bad precedent right from the get-go. We need an alternate source of fuel for the shuttle's engine. That's all. And then we can blast out of here. 
Maybe we can melt down those plastic rocks with piss. That might give us our combustible replacement fuel. Wow, that would take a whole lot of piss, though. I drank all of our liquid supplies, and I don't think I have enough to melt down one styrofoam pebble. That's because you're beta cock pearl. I myself have enough alpha piss in me to wash away the entire set and more. Jesus, don't let it come to that. I say, that's exactly how God went about creating the great deluge. And from it came the fish that would feed the multitude. Let us have a fish fry to commemorate that unforgettable real-life event. That's it. Fish fry. Radioactivity. Piss. We can use my radioactive coolant in my system as the alternative fuel. It smells like fish. I can drain some from my aft wankle port. I can piss it right into our engine's control rod access bay. Come dry your eyes, wipe off your lips. I'm going to save this busted ship. I'll make repairs, I'll fix its hull. I will replace the broken bones. I'll make it go into the sky like a plastic streak. If we're to attain escape velocity, we need to leave some men behind, some of lower rank and lesser minds. And as we slip the surly bombs and touch God's face, maybe drop some bombs. Yeah. 
orbit starts to decay I'm sure I'll have more things to say If you give me your sacred trust I'll try to muster a bit more thrust And as we slip the surly bonds And touch God's face Maybe drops of Nixon, please uh, get busy with that thing, whatever. Uh, Mr. Goodstein, please prepare the Mr. Stephanie clones for their death mission. Oh, it would be my pleasure, sir, to take on the role of mortician. This just won't do. I guess I'll set up the perimeter myself. Men, follow me. Um, yes, sir. Okay, sir, we will. Change in plan, then. That's all right. I'll just wait for them to come back in a casket. In the meantime, I can pick some poison posies and toadstool. Uh, okay. Uh, sure. Do that. As for me, I have a certain scientific curiosity about where the bathroom is on this planet set. Sulu and Doc, you're both with me. Uh, I guess so. Given the alternatives of remaining here and watching an android president piss into an engine, or going with you, I, I guess you win this time. I say it's about time for my evening constitutional, which reminds me, there's nothing in our Confederation Constitution that would prohibit me from owning a slave man, caveman. With their great size and acuity of hurling gigantic spears, I'm figuring they'd be able to do a lot of field work around my space kumquat plantation. We can have them picking right alongside that ornery Sasquatch fella. There's no way I'm helping you secure a slave dog. Well, I guess we should go that way, since Gorka went the other way. Wait, there he is. What's he doing on top of that plastic boulder? I don't know. Gork is fucking crazy even by the standards of this show. He's made himself an obvious target for Caveman Spears up there. What is he doing? That's not the behavior of a regular cast member. I say, listen, he's saying something. Steve, I made you and I can destroy you. I'm more powerful than anyone. Anyone on this planet. Sounds like he's trying to intimidate the guy that introduces the show. Either that or he's trying to convince the indigenous people here that he's the ultimate alpha male and that he should be the ruler. 
Well, he does have that Nazi lapel pin. I say, and that Hitler-themed bacon dish, and matching shillelagh. Who wouldn't want to follow a man that has all of that? Apparently those guys. He just got an improbably huge spear through the body. Oh, that's a relief. I was worried that he was going to become a regular character. There are already way too many cast members making fun of me. Let's go back to the shuttle and see if we can leave. I say, but should we go back for Gorka's body? We can drag him back and have an appropriate Third Reich kind of funeral for him. With lots of goose-stepping Stephanies and singing Hitler Stephanies and a preacher man Stephanie reading. Huh, uh, sounds intriguing, but no, let's just go. Pearl, what about the Stephanies? The ones that you just ordered to set up the perimeter? That's okay. I've already written them off as casualties of the mission. I'd rather not revise that report. Oh no! The cavemen are attacking! We're only 12 feet away from the shuttle, Pearl. I think we can make it. Oh god! I'm pinned by this oversized plastic boulder! I can't budge it! Even though it's obviously moving like crazy whenever I move! Uh, you'll have to leave me here! Oh, what a world! What a world! Pearl, the thing weighs less than your freaking lunch. Just push it aside and get in here. Oh, okay, that's a relief. I had my whole life of elective wars pass before my eyes. Turns out there were a few that they missed in the reel. I say, the pagan cavemen are bringing up the rear. It's like the Battle of the Bull Run all over again, with 50% more cavemen. Open the plastic doors, Nixon. It's us. Hang on, I'm almost done. I'm still draining my radioactive coolant into the shuttle's impulse drive. I can't just cut off the flow. No, not after it really starts to pour. Hurry, Nixon. The cavemen are closing in on us. We can't see their faces, but I'm sure they're hideous. Yeah, I noticed that all the camera shots of them are from the back. Saves the studio loads on makeup costs, apparently. Actually, you know, they look a lot like Mr. Stephanie. <gasps> My god, that's horrible! You mean they somehow incorporated Mr. Stephanie into the caveman bodies? They want revenge from me for ordering all of them to their doom! No, the director's just double-booking the Mr. Stephanie's to play cavemen on this planet. Okay, you guys can come in now. I've got the fuel tank up to the bottom of the gauge. This is not the first time I've saved the nation with my radioactive pits. That's okay. We'll wait out here until you have pants on. But Sulu, the killer cavemen are about to... Oh, I guess you're right. We'll wait. Doc is dealing with one of them now anyhow. He's trying to get a slave harness on him. Doc, get in here, will you? We've got to go. I say, but I've got a whole field of Becky at home that's not going to pick itself. It's not that genetically modified yet. But a man named Eli Whitey is working on some mechanized Becky men that will spend the day taking orders and then provide a most pleasing after-dinner smoke. He's going to bring his gin along as well. Tell us about that later. Now get in here, and that's an order. Close the plastic doors. Lift off now, Nixon! I don't know how this bird is going to handle the alternate fuel. It might fly off into the ionosphere as happy as a lark, or might blow up like a Christmas gift to the Viet Cong. Oh, good. We're going to blow up now. That could be painful. I don't think the studio's got a Springford explosion effect, so I think we should be okay. Okay, here goes something. 
It's working. We're lifting up. Wait, no, we're not. The cavemen must be holding us down. Actually, I think they're holding us up to make it look like we're taking off. The director is just using the same guys and we're just playing the cavemen to handle that. Best start pretending we're in space now. Oh, uh, okay. Um, hey, we've attained a low orbit. Um, good work, Nixon. It's low, all right, but I've been lower. Back in 1960, and then in 1962. Oh, yes, and then in 1974. I was orbiting so low that my butt was scraping against rooftops and knocking down TV antennas. It's all starting to come back to me now. But the free enterprise, it's nowhere to be seen. They didn't find us, or they didn't wait for us. They must have gone to the rendezvous with the U.S. contempt bin. Looks like I'll have to start dreaming about next Christmas then. <laughs> I don't think I have any dreams left. No, literally, I'm an android. I was programmed with a finite number of dreams, and I've used them already. As a matter of fact, I've got all my dream tapes right here on the satchel. They contain the most incendiary thoughts of my most unrepressed id. All narrated by yours truly, although Henry Kissinger and a few other colleagues make special guest appearances. Mr. Sulu, how long can we maintain this low orbit before we plunge back into the planet's atmosphere and gulp, burn up? Yeah, we don't want to hit that light bulb. Actually, in the real universe where physics apply, we should be able to maintain an orbit like this for about 15 years. But on our show, I think we're good for about five minutes longer. But if they don't notice us in time, then we're all going to die. What can we do to make them notice us? Huh. Oh my god, I can't believe I did that. I say, he just used the balance of Nixon's radioactive piss fuel to launch a probe to space CNN. The probe contains all those new incendiary tapes that Nixon spoke of only minutes ago. Why did you do that, Mr. Pearl? Are you out of your mind? Do you think you will start rampaging around the ship, killing people and feasting upon brains? A few months ago, I would have resented someone making my most perverse thoughts and twisted ambitions public, but now I welcome it. Oh. Today's American public wants new unvarnished sorts of men to lead them. They crave salty language and can handle even an entire salt mine of racist and sexist invectives and diatribes. Unconditional love is what I expect from those that I have only contempt for. Finally, I can say, release the tapes. Release all the tapes. Okay, Pearl, I get it. You sent a probe full of Nixon tapes to the media. They published them as breaking news. And then the free enterprise taps it on the coverage. Once they put it together that we leaked the tapes, they'll know we're still alive. That's right. And they'll track down where the probe came from. And then they will rescue us, just in time for dinner. That's quite a stretch, Pearl. More likely they'll just look at how many pages of dialogue are left in the script, realize it's time to just wrap everything up, and then beam us up. <laughs> Free Enterprise and the Nimrod 7. Do you read me, Nimrod? Oh, I forgot to tell you. I repaired the subspace radio. I filled in the Nixon-shaped indentation with a Nixon-shaped conductive plaster. I stuck a few toggle switches and light bulbs in it so it should be up to code. <laughs> Free Enterprise and the Nimrod 7. 
Nimrod, that's you guys orbiting that planet in the center of the Maraschino effect, right? <laughs> yes, it's us, Captain. You found us. You found us. <laughs> well, I'm delighted, Mr. Pearl. And how's the rest of your crew? Holding up okay? How's Ned? I'm right here next to you, idiot. I'm not on board the Nimrod. Everyone's just fine, sir. Um, um, with the exception of the Mr. Stephanie. They all died horribly, but we'll never forget what they did. Hey, Sulu, what did they do? How the hell should I know? They listened to you and then reached the inevitable consequence. Oh, and Captain, we lost Mr. Gorka, too. You know, the ship's expert on terror warts or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what we'll do without him. Well, you'll have to write the letters to the family since they were under your command when they died. <laughs> it shouldn't be too hard. In Stephanie's case, we just have a stack of ready-made condolence letters that are on auto send. One goes out every week like clockwork. We have a randomizer program to select the cause of death each time. I think the last one was death by sonic brain disruption caused by tuba men from the Tubatan Empire. Great stuff and eminently believable. It makes me proud, I think. <laughs> In the case of Gorka, you can write to his fascist wife. She might be hard to find, though. I think she went back in time to be with the Fuhrer following his great victory over France. France is a good watering hole during wartime. Take it from me! Captain, after you beam us up after all we've been through, can we please go back to Earth? There are a few things I'd like to say to my family. Like, why don't they just all stand aside and let me have all of Annie Mount's fortune? And I'd like to taste some real food again. Some beef Wellington goulash without so much Wellington in it would be great. And some... Sorry, Mr. Pearl, but it's too tough to feed you. That's what the commissioner says. <laughs> but, but, sir, please, we're famished. There was only so much of that hearty Mr. Stephanie goulash I could eat, especially without any potatoes. I'm afraid that Commissioner Sanders insists. And after that, it's been good to know ya. Oh, no, you're warping out. You're going to leave us to die in the plastic shuttle prop in an orbit that's starting to decay. And all you have to say is that it's been good to know ya? <laughs> Actually, it's been good to know you, too. I can see how you might have gotten that wrong. But you can just imagine a pair of aliens' wide eyes appearing after the system name. Their eyes are wide because of ignorance. <laughs> That's how I remember things. Commander Pearl, just tell him we're sitting on another tape. I'll know which one. Then he'll change his tune pretty quick. They always do, his kind. I made a tape of his father, George Romney, crying like a little girl and then renouncing his support for the war. Tell him we'll play it. We will. Oh, yeah, the tapes. Captain, um, oh, my God, I smell plastic smoke. The shuttle is heating up. We're burning up in the atmosphere. No, Pearl, Doc's heating up some of that disgusting Stephanie goulash. Ah, say, you should have a veneer of respect in your voice when you say that. Mr. Zulu, beam the crew of the Nimrod over. Captain, I'm on the shuttle. It would be physically impossible for me to carry out that order again. Delay that order then, mister. Mr. Poolscum, beam our fellow officers aboard and get back to the ship's pool room. Those mollusk men were in there last night and it's their mucus shedding season. So, Mr. Pearl, your first command. <laughs> I'd call it a success. Oh, thank you, sir. I would, too. Everything went real well. I was actually thinking about asking for the keys to the Scalia so I can run over to Earth for a few solar weeks. A success? What are you, smoking Willard? 
The guy was only on board because he was a stowaway, trying to pilfer Confederation property for his own personal gain. And then when he was in command, 12 people needlessly died. There was a mutiny. Cannibalism took place. And he made a fool out of your robotic president, communications officer. He also wrecked a shuttle prop. <laughs> yes, but that's why futuristic laser pencils have erasers. And they have really, really big erasers for members of our elite business and ruling classes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Well, wasn't that a bit of fun? <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, Matt does a great Gorka. Gorka richly deserves that imitation, I would say. Anyway, here we are. Another Christmas. 20 years um, since the release of 2000 Years to Christmas. Uh, and we're sort of celebrating a 20th anniversary of the of our first album of 2000 years to Christmas with uh, a couple of little promotions. We're trying to get people to listen to it. Uh, you can get a copy of the album from us directly. Um, we also have an arrangement with someone who has a storefront on Amazon who's offering them as well at a very reasonable price. And if you don't have any money, you can email me um, through the site big-green.net uh, just look for the low income discount link and contact me and we will get you a copy if you want a copy um, or you can listen to it on one of your streaming services people have been listening to it a bit uh, lately I've noticed that particularly the song uh, Pagan Christmas has been getting a lot of plays um, for whatever reason and we're hoping to, uh, you know, make it a part of everybody's Christmas this year because it's such a fun little album. Ask anybody. Well, not anybody. Just ask us. Anyhow, I'm going to play a couple of selections uh, from 2000 Years to Christmas. And since, um, since Pagan Christmas is kind of a hot item... <laughs> relatively speaking uh, through um, Spotify and a couple of the other online services I'm gonna we're gonna run through that one just now so this is pagan Christmas from the 1999 big green album entitled 2000 years to Christmas here it goes <laughs> Very different. 
That was Pagan Christmas. Fun little number. Glad you enjoyed it. Okay, so we've been recording more of Matt's Christmas songs um, in recent years and playing them on our podcast. Um, Some of them you've probably heard before. I'm going to throw another one up there that I think is one of the one of the better ones that we've done um, since we started doing the podcast. And that one is called Bobby Sweet. Very fond of this one. Now Bobby Sweet has a Christmas bomb. Go ahead and open it. It's not
Wasn't that nice? Indeed. That's a song that Matt wrote relatively recently within the last couple of years. Um, a lot of the songs that uh, appeared on 2000 Years to Christmas were songs that he had written some years before that and uh, recorded kind of demo versions of and handed out um, on cassette tapes uh, back in the day. Um, we've also re-recorded some of those. Um, and I'm going to follow this with an example of one of those re-recordings that we did not too long ago. It is a song called Christmas Spirit. And I think we played this one a couple of years ago. Um, but here it is. It's, it's a bit of a bare bones recording. But uh, I like this one. Yeah. <laughs>
Joe. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you. There we have it. Christmas spirit. I think you can hear some uh, familiar Christmas themes in there. A little bit of Dickens. A little bit of Dickens. What the Dickens? What the Dickens? Anyway, um, that song I remember from uh, Matt's giveaway tapes, his giveaway cassette tapes back in the day. Not not that specific recording, not that specific version of it, but the original recordings, which were more like demos. Matt used to do uh, four-track cassette recordings and hand them out to all and sundry. Um, in fact, there were probably 10 or more years of those. And in fact, 2000 Years to Christmas, our first album, is really just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to uh, Matt's compendium of Christmas music. He started um, doing holiday songs um, towards the beginning of what we call Big Green when we first established the group back in 1986, 87, somewhere in there. And he was just getting started on these. Um, in fact, that might have been the second year uh, he did holiday um, giveaway tapes. So I think he started in like 1986 with the first one and then followed it up the year that we uh, founded Big Green with Ned Dennison uh, back in the uh, Capital District in in New York, upstate New York. That was a long time ago. Nobody remembers that far back. But literally, Matt has done dozens and dozens of what we call Christmas songs along the lines of what you just heard and along the lines of what's on 2,000 Years to Christmas. Uh, I'm going to play another one of those songs. Um, for your listening pleasure, this is what I think is one of the one of the best songs. This was a song I think he originally did a demo of back in the mid '90s. It's a song called "Vital Signs." It's on Two Thousand Years to Christmas," our first album, and uh, I like this version of it. Here it goes.
Yes, that was Vital Signs by Big Green from our first album, 2,000 Years to Christmas. Wasn't that nice? There's a little bit of Matt's, um, I don't know, I, I don't have this directly from him, and he's probably going to laugh when he hears this, but there's a little bit of his field experience <laughs> in that song, uh, if you read into the lyric a little bit. Uh, the lyrics, by the way, are at big-green.net. You just follow the lyric link uh, under the music um, tab. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, as I said, we are celebrating the, the 20th anniversary of our first release, 2,000 Years to Christmas. If you go to big-green.net, you will see a promotional banner. And that will take you to a little page that points to where you can listen to the album either on one of the streaming services or you can download the album from uh, Amazon or Apple Music or you can, if you're so inclined, you can buy the disc on Amazon or you can you can talk to us directly and we will provide you with a disc whether or not you have money <laughs> we have discs whether or not you have money um we're not really interested one way or the other there you go if you'd uh, like a copy of 2000 years to christmas but don't feel like spending a lot of money let me know send us an email go to big-green.net uh follow the contact us link and and just get in touch with me me Joe of Big Green. Well, uh, I think that's that's about all I got for yes. Um, we will be back in the new year with a new episode and a new, uh, as I said, a new episode of Ned Trek. Uh, I'm not sure what the number is. It's in the 40s now. Um, so look out for that. Uh, that will be early in the year, and that will have eight new songs on it that we've never released before. Um, and we'll look forward to seeing you. And <laughs> I actually can't see you right now. We'll look forward to entertaining you in the new year. Hope you have a great holiday season. And keep your eyes open. I'll be posting stuff through the holidays as I usually do. Um, bits and bobs, odds and ends, that sort of thing. And we'll start fresh next year. Thanks for listening. Well, that's all we've got. This is Big Green brought to you by uh, nameless donors. Too numerous to mention. Check us out at big-green.net. Follow us on Twitter at Big Green Joe. You can find us on Facebook. Just go to the website for the various links. Look for our promotions about 2,000 years to Christmas. Have a great holiday. See you in the New Year.